Hello there, little masters, and welcome to the new weekly Prancing Pony podcast, where tonight we'll try to wake up something tookish inside you. West to hell, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the, I don't know, Owen to my glowing. How long can we keep changing these anyway? Uh, Alan Sisto. Thank you, Sean. Well, to answer your question, not much longer, we're running out of dwarves. That's a very good um, point. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, there's only a finite number. Folks, hopefully you've heard our last episode by now, covering the first half of Chapter 1 of The Hobbit. If you haven't, go do that now, because tonight we're just going to pick up where we left off. Yeah, it was actually just starting to get interesting last time, but uh, I mm-hmm. promise you it's going to be getting re- interesting really quick this time. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to read some dwarvish poetry in a moment, so we'll, we'll see how interesting uh, it gets. Really? Interesting may not be the word for that, Sean, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see indeed. But first, uh, we have another new segment to introduce today, mm-hmm. don't we, Alan? We this do. is going to be the first installment of the Philology Fair segment. That's right. If you're caught up on the first couple of episodes of Season 2, you know we've been talking about some new segments, which also come with... New segment music. And this segment is going to give us a chance to really flex our word nerd muscles. <laughs> Boy, that's a terrible <laughs> phrase. I didn't know word nerd. I mean, don't word nerds not have muscles? That's kind of the point. That's why we're well, they word have, nerds. You know, they have mental muscles. Mental you know, muscles. The ling- there you go. The linguistic muscles. You know? I like that. And I Sean, love that music. That is That music is exactly how excited I get about linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> no reason not yeah. to get excited twice. Yeah. So, Sean, what have you got for us today? Well, for the first installment of Philology Fair, uh, I wanted to give us a little word nerdery that Tolkien gives us right at the beginning of the book, The Hobbit. Uh, we've already made a couple of jokes about it at the expense of Walt Disney. And Poor uh, Walt. I'm speaking of, I know, I know. I, and I am a fan. I, I like Disney stuff. So. Fan or Walt. I mean, they kind of go together, apparently. Oh, oh that's <laughs> Now, I'm one of the few who likes Tolkien and Disney, though not equally. Okay. Um, but uh, no, I'm speaking, of course, of Tolkien's habit of using dwarves as the plural of dwarf uh, mm-hmm. instead of dwarfs, you know, dwarfs like Snow White and the Seven, the F, right. dwarfs. Um, and, you know, for anybody who's been raised on modern fantasy literature and, you know, role-playing games and things, maybe mm-hmm. dwarves just sounds perfectly normal. I mean, it, yeah. it actually does for me. It's what I, it's what I go to as the, the main plural of that. But in 1937, it was not normal at all. Uh, no. Tolkien really is responsible for popularizing it. Um, it's worth noting that even his good friend C.S. Lewis uh, in the Narnia books, he, he uses mm-hmm. dwarfs. Now, um, I, so I, of course, when I read that to my son, I edit that and turn it into dwarves. Do you? Yes. That's, that's good. That's, that's I do a, a lot good... of on-the-fly editing with, with that. His language is sometimes a little more archaic and also a little more um, provincial, I think. A, yeah. a lot, you know, there's, there's stuff that's very much more English that my son's just going to yeah. be. I, I want to avoid the, what is that, at you know, 830 at night when I'm trying to get him to go to sleep. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. That makes perfect sense. I'll, yeah. I'll have to try that. I've, I just read straight what's on the page. Then again, my son's a little younger, and there's a lot that he doesn't understand. Anymore, yeah, that one but, year makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, uh, so yeah, it was just, it wasn't common at all. Dwarves no. was not common at all. Um, but uh, where I'm going to go for the information on this is actually um, to the preface that now exists in certain editions of The Hobbit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not in all of them, um, but it is in Anderson's Annotated Hobbit, and it's in the Mariner Books paperback edition that we've been using right there on page one. Um, this preface was actually added in 1966, and in it, Tolkien talks about a few linguistic things, the, the use of the word goblin, the runes that are oh, used in yeah, yeah. the word and the word dwarves. And he says, in English, the only correct plural of... Let me start that over. In English, (laughs) the only correct plural of dwarf is dwarfs, and the adjective is dwarfish. 
In this story, dwarves and dwarvish are used, but only when speaking of the ancient people to whom Thorin Oakenshield and his companions belonged. Interestingly, so he did it, it seems, to distinguish his dwarves from other uses of the, of the term, like dwarfs of folklore or mm-hmm. a, a person with dwarfism or like a red dwarf star. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he explains it further in Appendix F uh, to Lord of the Rings. He says, in this book, as in The Hobbit, the form dwarves is used, although the mm-hmm. dictionaries tell us that the plural of dwarf is dwarfs. Um, it should be dueros or dueros. Uh, if singular and plural had each gone its way down the years, as have man and men or goose and geese. But we no longer speak of a dwarf as often as we do of a man or even of a goose. (laughs) And memories have not been fresh enough among men to keep hold of a special plural for a race now abandoned to folktales or at last to nonsense stories in which they have become mere figures of fun. And what he's referring to there when he talks about them, you know, the singular and plural going their, right, their separate right. ways, is he's talking about sound changes from Old English. The, in Old English, the singular was uh, dwerch, uh, okay. and the plural was dwerkas. Um, okay. And so very similar in Old English, but just the way that, you know, that, that final G changed um, over the centuries, to um, the it just the changed into, you know, it changed in different ways. And so that's why so he's the, saying that the plural would have actually been dwaros. Okay, so the changes over time that turned Dwork into our modern word dwarf should also have turned Dwerkas into Dweros. Exactly. Right? But yep. it didn't because there just weren't any people weren't talking about dwarves enough to keep a, an irregular plural. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a word people oh, don't okay. use that much. So yeah. yeah, it just kinda it just kinda becomes a standard plural. And Tolkien yeah. actually goes on to say in uh, appendix uh, in that appendix F. Um, okay. He says, but I have ventured to use the form dwarves and remove them a little, perhaps, from the sillier tales of these latter days. So he's doing it partly to kind of give his dwarves a, a little bit of their old dignity back. You know, they're, he's trying to separate <laughs> them from these silly dwarves, you know, from you know, from Rumpelstiltskin to Sneezy, I guess. Um, <laughs> interestingly, uh, in, in an earlier letter, a 1937 letter to Stanley Unwin, and this is letter number 17 in Carpenter's book. Wow, that book, is early, yeah. Yeah, very. Um, Tolkien had actually explained it a little differently. He said, uh, I am afraid it is just a piece of private bad grammar. <laughs> Rather shocking in a philologist. The real One historical think, plural yeah. of Yeah. The real historical plural of dwarf, like teeth of tooth, is dwaros, anyway. Rather a nice word, but a bit too archaic. Still, I rather wish I had used the word dwaro. <laughs> you know, I just get the feeling that Tolkien was just simply dead set on the form that he wanted to use because he knew it was more philologically correct, even though it wasn't mm-hmm. you know, grammatically correct for modern English. But, of course, when he was set yep. on something, that's usually the way it ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. He, he was a man yeah. of convictions. No uh, yeah, I think you're right. And, and he knew that, you know, the true philologically correct form, Duaro, was just a bit too archaic. And too you archaic know, so for he, Tolkien. That's saying something. Yeah, that is a very good point. I mean, yeah. have you read the Silmarillion? <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, if he thought it was too archaic, definitely. Um, so yeah, he came up with this compromise form, dwarves, yeah. which, um, you know, you wharf and wharves or, you know, um, knife and knives, you know, it just, it sounds mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say it has arguably become the preferred form for dwarves in fantasy literature. Oh, absolutely. doesn't even sound odd to us anymore. And, and that's, that to me is, that's truly the work of a master philologist and language inventor. Very good point. And that is some great stuff. Thank you for the philology fair piece. Love the new segment. My and pleasure. with that, Thank why you. don't we go ahead and get started with the second part of chapter one, an unexpected party. I believe right. we get to have you start this time with part uh, leading into the Misty Mountains cold. Yep. Okay. I'll just jump right in here. 
The dark came into the room from the little window that opened in the side of the hill. The firelight flickered. It was April. And still they played on, while the shadow of Gandalf's beard wagged against the wall. The dark filled all the room, and the fire died down, and the shadows were lost, and still they played on. And suddenly, first one and then another began to sing as they played, deep-throated singing of the dwarves in the deep places of their ancient homes. Hmm. And this is like a fragment of their song, if it can be like their song without their music. Far over the misty mountains cold, to dungeons deep and caverns old, we must away ere break of day to seek the pale enchanted gold. The dwarves of yore made mighty spells, while hammers fell like ringing bells in places deep where dark things sleep in hollow halls beneath the fells. As much as I would love to read this entire poem, <laughs> I think it would just take way too long and it, it probably uh, get some, uh, some some unhappy attention from the Tolkien estate. So I'll uh, skip well ahead could. a little bit here. Um, and I'll actually just go back, uh, well, to the end, to the last two stanzas here. Let's see. Okay. The mountains smoked beneath the moon. The dwarves, they heard the tramp of doom. They fled their hall to dying fall beneath his feet, beneath the moon. Far over the misty mountains grim, to dungeons deep and caverns dim, we must away ere break of day to win our harps and gold from him. Wow. Man, that's a, that's a it, potent it's piece a, of poetry. It, it, <laughs> that was an excellent... Uh, I didn't even mean to alliteration. alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> um, an you excellent instance of alliteration. Oh, very well done. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and I, I like starting at the the first two stanzas and then reading the last two stanzas because mm -hmm. you can see that change, you know, in the yeah, in the far really over the can. misty mountains line. Um, I, before we even get, get to the, that, I actually mm -hmm. wanted to say something about the passage before the the, the poetry. There was a, oh, sure. a line that struck me that I don't know that it's really hit me before. That this is like a fragment of their song if it can be like their song without their music. The music is such an integral part of the piece. Mm -hmm. That the narrator is telling us this really is an incomplete vision. That when yeah. you're hearing it just on the words, you're not hearing what it really is. And we get that because earlier, um, you know, with with um, with Bilbo, let's see, where's the line that I'm thinking of here? Maybe it's after uh, where he has no right before right before that passage where the music began all at once so sudden and sweet that Bilbo forgot everything forgot else and was swept else, away. Yeah. Yeah, that tells us how powerful the music itself—just the music—is, even without uh, without the words. So, yeah, um, it you know yeah. it it reminds me just in in the description of the you know the deep throated singing and the effect that it has, sort of stopping everything. It mm -hmm. reminds me of uh, the near Nithar Nordiad. Remember when oh, yeah. um, the the dwarven uh, yeah the dwarven when lord Azagal Azagal yeah yeah he fell and uh, yeah and fighting Glaurung. Yeah, if I recall. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and uh, and his men, you know, just carried him off the battlefield, singing this, you know, this the deep dirge. throated dirge. And um, it just kind of like everybody just kind of let left them alone. Let them, yeah, leaving. we're not going to stop them. You want to stop them? Yeah. I'm not going to stop them. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's right. interesting. You know, point. this this powerful effect that dwarvish singing has. Mm. 
There's definitely some potency here. So now let's uh, take a look then at the it's actual an text. Also an interesting construction here with the, the two references in two paragraphs to the dark coming into the room. Yeah. You know, the, I'm, I'm, this is just a, an the interesting The dark came inversion. into the room and then the dark filled all the, the room. The dark filled the room. You, you would normally think of, you know, the light coming into the room, maybe the moonlight coming into the room and then the moonlight filling the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but here the dark filled the room, which is... Just and that makes sense. We're, we're not going to read that. It's not highlighted for us to read. But, you know, there's that little passage later about we like the dark, dark for dark yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, you know, the, there's definitely some some powerful symbolism here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this but this poem, I mean, although, you know, I, I, I would have loved to read it all, but, you know, of course, didn't for, for various reasons. But um, I mean, I think I want to spend some logistical time on and legal. <laughs> What's that? Logistical and legal. Yes, yes exactly. Right. Uh, we try um, not to violate copyright here on the Brands yeah. Coding Podcast. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we but do I want think... to discuss all of it, including the verses, the stanzas that we didn't read. Definitely. Uh, we want to take yeah. a really close look at the text and, and mm-hmm. see just what this means. So I'll, I'll let you start. Yeah. Have I'm sure you've got something already off the top of your head. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the first stanza is sort of introductory. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of talking about the quest. Um, right. And, and that is informed later on um, by that last stanza. Um, but, you know, we get right off the bat that it's, you know, they're going to seek the enchanted gold. You know, they're mm-hmm. very clear on their on their uh, their goal here. Um, mm-hmm. It's not so much about revenge against the dragon as it is about the no. treasure. Um, at least at this point. <laughs> That's no, actually going to change The later last on. verse suggests that. I mean, to win yeah. our hearts and gold from him, you're not going to... <laughs> You're and not I think later on, I think later on, there's a you know comment Thorin makes. You know they're they're doing okay, oh, yes. but they still want their their ancestral oh, yeah. home back. They absolutely um, do. But that is that is kind of an interesting thing. But really, it's the second stanza that really starts yeah. to interest me. You know, yeah, um, that's where the, we start to learn about the dwarves, isn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah, the dwarves of yore and, the, and these these spells they wrought in in their craftsmanship, and they and they mm-hmm. really celebrate the craftsmanship. You know, they do talking about the hammers falling like ringing bells, and um, and oh, uh, and we'll get so much more of that in these other stanzas. The yeah, the the, yeah. the shaped and wrought. The, um, yeah. the the twisted wire and the fact that they hung these flowering stars on crowns. All of this is that's my favorite. Is about what I, they do. That is my yeah. favorite stanza. Is that on silver necklaces they strung because yeah. of just the 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 way that they're you know they're stringing the stars. They're meshing the light of the moon and the sun. They're yeah. they're uh, they're hanging dragon fire. You know, it's all figurative hmm. language, but figuratively speaking, they're talking about mastery over oh yeah over the earth you know mastery over light over and mastery over and dragon fire and metals and gems yeah mm-hmm. um and all the it's just such an a powerful statement of control and power that they had yeah. before you know they were driven yeah. from their home exactly um, i love that it really is but we get some some foreboding there in that second stanza about that, that where they did this was in deep places where dark things mm. sleep Mm-hmm. And in hollow halls beneath the fells, yeah, um, where dark things sleep. Certainly, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is is Durin's bane. We don't even yeah. see that in this entire book, uh, but that has to be in the back of the mind of, uh, of Professor Tolkien as he's penning this. Uh, Could be uh, that, yeah, that there are indeed those, dark yeah. things in these places. Even if he wasn't thinking of Durin's bane specifically, no, you no. know, but he's some thinking sort of, of other some Balrogs exactly. that you know that were deep below the earth. Yeah, or even just, you know, horrible creatures like just the Watcher of Water or things like that. Yeah. yeah, true. This is interesting in the third stanza about the ancient king and elvish lord that they shaped and they wrought were... these these golden hordes. Mm-hmm. Um, For kings and lords. Everybody yeah. wanted their wares. Exactly. You know, they were Every other race wanted dwarvish craftsmanship. 
for ancient king and elvish lords. So we're talking about men and elves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they do their yeah, job. I think they, we have to assume ancient king means means men. I think so because it's ancient king and elvish lord. Yep. I mean, it's it's not. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like for elvish lord and ancient right. king. Then you might. And think we're, talking we're talking about, about the dwarves in general, so it wouldn't be a dwarvish king. So. No, no, no. Yep. No. I agree. Yeah. And so they they make arms, the 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 hilt of the swords, mm-hmm. uh, and they they shape and rot these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, it, it's this mastery. It's this demonstration of. Um, you know, absolute superior craftsmanship. Nobody mm-hmm. can do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, why would they and, and almost go even, to the and almost even a, like a, it's almost even just a, a figurative mastery of the natural world in a way. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, the way they're talking, I guess. I well, that's certainly already, part of Aule's, you know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of his yeah. thing, you know. This is how they interact with the world. This is how they, they show their supremacy is by, by doing these crafts that only they can do. Yeah. And then that. after those uh, after those verses, including your favorite, so after the fourth stanza, we get a repeat almost mm-hmm. of the first one, right? We get far yep. over the misty mountains, cold, dungeons deep and caverns old. Same exact first two lines, first three. The only difference is instead of seeking the pale enchanted gold, it's they're claiming, claiming their long forgotten long gold. forgotten gold. Yep. Who's forgotten it? Because it's not them. <laughs> they, did, they certainly have not forgotten it. No. That's true. No, I, <laughs> I mean, um, is this just to say that, you know, nobody else remembers that this was ours? I wonder. Uh, I, wonder. I wonder if there's an old, I wonder if there's an old, like an archaic meaning of forget that Tolkien is playing mm. on here. Hmm. I don't know. I do not know. Uh, maybe that's a, something we can delve into in our postscript. Yeah. I don't know. Probably Folks, not, I, I mentioned I'm the postscript, but I'll just mention that as an aside for our, uh, for our, for most of our listeners, you know, there are a few of you who are uh, part of the fellowship of the podcast. But one of the things we're starting to do now for our patrons uh, is provide a uh, five to ten minute postscript for every episode where we mm-hmm. touch on questions and issues and mistakes and bad jokes that we missed and all sorts of things. Uh, so uh, if you want to get in. Opportunities you know, extra, missed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Opportunities missed. Like, how did I miss that pun? Yeah. Um, those are a great chance. Uh, if, if you guys want to kind of dive into that, those are available at the Gift of Gondor level or higher, so you don't have to pitch in a bunch. But if you want to join up with uh, the Fellowship of the Podcast, you'll get some access to that. So yeah. anyway, just <laughs> just a sidebar. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, so yeah. Uh, I, long forgotten gold, but the claim is what's really key there. Yes. They're not going to seek. They're going to claim. They. Yeah. They know where to look for it. <laughs> and, and then what do we do it. when that same when that same passage with slightly different words is given again after four more stanzas? Mm-hmm. It's then to win. Yes. Yeah. So it's at first it's to seek, then it's to claim, and then it's to win. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely a that's a, a pattern that's worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we see more craftsmanship. They carve goblets for themselves and golden harps, uh, and they do this where no man goes. Um, That's really key. No man, where no yeah. man delves, and they sing yeah. these songs that are unheard by men or elves. You know, that's just another reminder that you know they're doing. They're in a place that nobody else can go. Yeah. You know, this is a place that, and they're a little that, bit. This, just this also reminds us of their isolationist nature. You know, they're not. Mm-hmm. They don't trust the other races, and mm-hmm. part of that goes all the way back to what we talked about from chapter two with their origin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, these that's were not true. originally the children of Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as such, there's going to be conflict uh, with yeah. with the the original children. So yeah, 
I think I think you're right. I think it's I think it's twofold. I think it's partly that they don't want men or elves there. I think right. it's also they're sort of touting the fact that oh yeah, whether nobody accurate or not, that nobody there. else has the guts to go this deep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yet they're singers. You know, this is just like we learned by listening to this and realizing they're not reciting poetry; they're singing a song. Mm-hmm. We're told that they're singing songs that have been unheard by men or elves. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're not just craftsmen, they're artists. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's important. Uh, but then we get what appears to be the arrival of the dragon uh, in the next three stanzas. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we get the, you know, the destruction, essentially, of Erebor. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the, the great stanza that's actually musically in the film, that the pines were roaring on the height, that, that stanza. Um, mm-hmm. And there is, you know, the, the winds and the red fire and the mm-hmm. the flames spreading and the and the trees burning like the torches. Trees like torches blazed with light. Yeah, vivid imagery, mm-hmm. really. And it, there's no mention really of Smaug himself of it's the dragon like in this Smaug stanza. Has done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you really get a sense of you know seeing the seeing the fire and seeing the effect yeah. that is coming before you real. <laughs> you get before a sense you see of him before you realize what hit you. You know. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, he's not. It's not like, oh, you know, Smaug did these things. I mean, uh, even when the dragon is mentioned, it's not him it's, himself. It's his he's ire. He's not the subject. It is his ire that is the subject of that. Right. You know, the dragon's ire laid low. Exactly. Powers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so That's, we see, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? It's, isn't it? Yeah. The dragon's ire more fierce than fire. You know, it wasn't his fire. It was the, the anger his and anger. hatred in his heart that, mm. that, that led him to this. Yeah, absolutely. That was what laid low their, their towers and houses. It's yeah. beautiful. It's it's so it's so poetic. It is. It's really it it it's easy to skim over this poem the first time you read it. And again, it's probably because and I say this because I've had the tendency to skim over the poems before. I don't do that anymore like we talked about. I mm-hmm. hello, my name is Alan. I'm a recovering prose reader. Recovering um, <laughs> recovering poem skipper. <laughs> recovering Certainly poem not skipper. after our last Tolkien Reading Day episode where absolutely we spent so much not. time that's, on the poetry. That's absolutely right. Um but you know, when you're when you're young uh, and sure. maybe you're like, oh, I just want to get on with the story, you miss so much when you do that. Yeah. Uh, and this really, when you dig in, it really rewards that sort of deep yeah. exploration. Well, it's, you know, poetry is not always the easiest thing to crack, especially if you're mm-hmm. young. You know, you're a you're a teenage fantasy geek. You're picking up this book. You're yeah. how many pages in and suddenly you're hit with all this poetry. And it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the easiest thing to parse. No. I remember... You know, like, forget it. I'm just going to go back to, like, my fifth edition source book and, you know, prepare for my next campaign. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Roll some dice. <laughs> something I can control. Exactly. Um, something I can understand. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for me, I've told you this before, I did read the poems on the first maybe mm-hmm. one or two times. But then I did, I, I did get to a point eventually where I started skipping, you know, yeah. on rereads just because I'm – I, I want to get to the right. good part. Get I want to get narrative. to Rivendell, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So. And those lovely but, uh, tra-la-la-lally elves. You know I love them. You know I love them. I can't wait. Upon which um, you have called dibs. I have called dibs. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's just such a beautiful poem. And I think it's, it really it's so is. worth reading because it's uh, it's such good exposition in, in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, distract you. It doesn't, um, yeah. it doesn't bore you. No, I agree. It, and it we really get one, engages you. one last verse of, of destruction, right? Now we get to see what mm-hmm. happens with the dwarves. First... In that previous verse, it was or previous stanza, it was about the men uh, and how the the town of Dale was destroyed. And now, 
the dwarves hear the, the, the footsteps of doom, the tramp of doom. Mm-hmm. That was my, <laughs> the footsteps of doom. That was, uh, who said That's that? A, the Lord the of the Rings. Is that a Galadriel yeah. line? Yeah. yeah. You're coming to us as the footstep of doom. Footsteps yeah. of doom. Um, so they fled their hall to dying, dying fall, beneath, fall his feet, beneath his feet, beneath the moon. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is finally, we start to see what the, what the dragon has done to the dwarves. He's not just mm-hmm. stolen their stuff. He's he's killed them and he's pushed them out of their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, yeah. now they go, the mountains are no longer cold. They're grim. Mm-hmm. And the caverns are not just old. They're dim. And now, instead of seeking or claiming, they're now going to win to their win. harps and gold from And them. not just their gold, but their harps and their gold. Absolutely. And I thought that was cool because Thorin's playing a harp at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but you know that's another. And so thing it's not. Made. And so that tells you that it's not just about. It's not just about the treasure. It's not just about the money. It's about their culture. Yeah, a harp is yeah. A, is a symbol of culture. It's, it's their music. You know, the harp Absolutely. is a symbol of their music, their poetry, and and their their culture has been taken mm-hmm. from them. Absolutely, you know, they have it. You know, they're a culture in diaspora. I think we've talked about that. Right. But, um, but you know, they have lost their place. They've lost yeah. and they've lost a, a they've bit lost of themselves, and they want it, they want that back. They are going to take it back. Absolutely, can't say I blame them. Um, I'm yeah. actually going to pick up immediately after that and, and read uh, the next paragraph in a few lines. Okay. As they sang, the hobbit felt the love of beautiful things made by hands and by cunning and by magic moving through him, a fierce and a jealous love, the desire of the hearts of dwarves. Then something Tukish woke up inside him, and he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. He looked out of the window. The stars were out in a dark sky above the trees. He thought of the jewels of the dwarves shining in dark caverns. Suddenly, in the wood beyond the water, a flame leapt up, probably somebody lighting a wood fire, and he thought of plundering dragons settling on his quiet hill and kindling it all to flames. He shuddered, and very quickly, he was plain Mr. Baggins of Bag End under hill again. He got up trembling, he had less than half a mind to fetch the lamp and more than half a mind to pretend to and go and hide behind the beer barrels in the cellar and not come out again until all the dwarves had gone away. <laughs> I love that. Man. He's he's just, he's so close. To... The toque part lasts for like 10 seconds. Right. And then suddenly he remembers the, the peril again. The idea yeah. that, you know, the idea that there could be actual... Uh, yeah, loss danger, of, danger, danger, loss of life. Danger, and Will and Robinson, danger. Right. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the, the plundering dragons, and he's, whoa, well, that'll bring you right back. I mean, yeah, it's like, was oh, wait, no. Somebody lighting yeah, no, a wood fire. You got somebody starting a bonfire on the other side of the river. <laughs> and, and it absolutely freaks things. him out. Yeah. Um, well, given the, you know, given the dark, given the mood, hey, who can blame him? Sure, them? sure. <laughs> I, I love, though, the effect of the music on him that we get at the beginning yeah. of that passage, that he starts to feel that desire of the hearts of dwarves. And mm-hmm. it's fierce what and is that desire? Love. It is fierce and jealous, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and we'll see that later with Thorin. It's more jealous than anything else. But yeah, what is it? It's the it's love of these beautiful, crafted things. Mm-hmm. Um, really, in a way, the first thing that comes to my mind is, that's a little Feanor-like in the sense that there's this oh, yeah. love of, of objects made by hands. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love of craftsmanship, yeah. which is okay, you know, to start with. It just It's how far does that go? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that impact that well, he actually starts to— Well, is certainly, you know, well, that certainly that, sounds like it's going overboard. 
but uh, yeah, it, it does. But it, but um, you're right. I mean, it, there's nothing, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with wrong with it. No. It's all about you know. Just do not love too much the work of your right. hands, right? Right, exactly. That's it's the, it's the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not money that's the not root money of all itself, evil. right? Yeah, it's the same the same kind of thing. Craftsmanship is good, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and and certainly even appreciating craftsmanship is fine. But when you have a fierce and jealous love, it's a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. So we see the Tukish side wake up. Here's that mm-hmm. conflict again, right? Coming back to yep. one of the main themes of the book, the Baggins mm-hmm. and Tuk sides. We see the Tuk side wakes up, and what happens? Wants to go and see the mountains and, yep. and explore, you know, the, the pine trees and the explore waterfalls. The caves. I love this. Wear he wants sword. to wear, wear a sword. sword he doesn't want to stick. use a sword. <laughs> In fact, we'll find yeah. that later on the very thought of using a sword is very kind alien to him and yeah. like last yeah. resort sort of thing. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. He he wants to he wants he wants adventure. He's he's craving adventure here. He is. He's craving. Uh, he a, wants to a, go and a, see a, things. He wants to explore. He wants to hear things that he's never heard before. But not danger. But not danger. <laughs> he does, he's not willing. And to not face fighting. Danger. I would say. You know, no. he doesn't want to go out and he doesn't he doesn't dream of valor. You know, he, he wants to dream. look like an explorer. He wants to be an explorer, yeah, perhaps, yeah. but he doesn't want to uh, to have to you know risk yeah. life or limb. Yeah, which, this isn't uh, okay, you know Aowen who who just wants to win valor at the point of a sword. He just wants to see the world. Yeah, he just wants That's to wear it in nature. a sheath on his belt. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't take much I, for him to come right back. No. <laughs> um, I, before we before we get to that, I love the mention yeah. of the stars. He, he yes. notices the stars. Yes. And that, that makes me think of chapter three, which... Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see that when, shortly. When he's, when he's... Yeah. And we'll, yeah, we'll get to that soon. But Oh, no. We can um, spoil it a little bit. I mean, it's... Well, isn't... I mean, everybody's read the book, so... You right, know, right, but, right. Yeah. There's the part when he's coming into Rivendell and he's, uh, you know, they're riding down into the valley and Bilbo looks up and he sees the stars. And that's when he yes. says one of my favorite lines, hmm, it smells like elves. I love um, that. But he, he see you know, he, he notices the stars and it's kind of, it's just the idea of experiencing the world. Um, mm-hmm. And when we think of what the stars signify to elves and to Tolkien's legendary in general, right. I think it's, uh, it's really, really a key thing that they're mentioned here. But I also here, think it, it helps him they're get like into beyond the jewels. The, they're like, exactly. That does, like it reminds him of the jewels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that they also remind, they also make me think of how, uh, the stars always, to me, always kind of make me a little bit humble. They make me realize how small I yeah. am. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. that total perspective vortex from Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> from again. Hitchhiker's Guide, yeah. And really, that comes you back. You are here. You are here, you know. <laughs> ah! giant, um, giant map of the entire galaxy yeah. and a little tiny microscopic all, dot that says you are here. All of infinity yeah. and then teeny tiny yeah. dot. You were here. Um, but it makes me, you know, we talked yesterday, yesterday, we talked in the last episode about how small uh, Bilbo's world is, you know, the hill, the water. Uh, yeah. The stars are the one thing that, that makes it bigger. Mm, you know, I think yeah. they're the one thing that kind of, in a way, forces Bilbo to realize there's so much more out there. Yeah, um, that's true. But, but just that realization is enough to to start to to create a sense of danger so, so much so that yeah. when a single fire leaps up, he kind of loses it. He suddenly um, thinks of dragons again, yeah. But look at who he becomes. Plain Mr. Baggins. So there's where we're, we're, the Took side is gone. Baggins is back. Of Bag End, Underhill again. Mm-hmm. But uh, that last line is, is awesome. I, I, this is another one of those, like in The Lord of the Rings, uh, that line about, I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Mm-hmm. I know more than, yeah. This is the same thing. He had less than half a mind to fetch the lamp. And more than half a mind to pretend to. Yeah, yeah. But what he didn't want was darkness anymore. Right. He wanted to go and hide mm-hmm. in the cellar, presumably where the where the light is, where the mm-hmm. lamp is, 
And where um, the beer is, it must be said. And where the beer is, because his comfort's there, right? <laughs> yes, he wants exactly. to be comfortable again. Yep, exactly. But he wants the lamp. He wants some light. Mm-hmm. And he's finding that the dark is now oppressive. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. He wants to, he wants to escape it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's when the when the, the dwarves are all tell, no, 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 we, we, we like the dark. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to stay right here. Dark for um, dark business. Yeah, exactly. So Thorin's speech, uh, we're not going to read read all of this. Um, in fact, I don't think we read any of this for a little bit, right? No, uh, but, no but I'm, I'm going to be picking up right after. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we, we, we get this really bloviating style, to put it. Completely, yeah. I mean, we, we've... We so get in the passage the I'm about to read that Thorin is a very important dwarf, and he is so <laughs> yeah. he's so aware of his own importance. He's so self-important. <laughs> he's so uh, yeah. flowery in his speech for no apparent purpose. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, and, and arguably he's being sarcastic. I mean, really, given what he's said and what he's seen so far, to say things like the, the most excellent and audacious Hobbit, and yeah, really. You don't know anything about this guy. Yeah. Uh, and then pretty soon you're going to be, you know, ripping him. So I'm not sure that's really what you think. Um, yeah, that's interesting that he could actually be being sarcastic. I wonder. He certainly is later. I don't know if he's sar- sarcastic at this yeah. point. He might yeah. still being, you know, he might be basing I, I know this the part on Gandalf's opinion. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Know, yeah, he's definitely sarcastic later on. Yeah, and that's um, a wonderful At this point, part. he's probably just sort of tongue-in-cheek, like, you know, okay, let's yeah. see what this guy's all about. Exactly. And, and seeing how he'll and respond. And interestingly, you know, referring to him as audacious and, and uh, you know, <laughs> referring to him as fellow conspirator has exactly the effect probably that <laughs> Thorin wants, which is to just yeah. completely get, a, get him flummox all flummoxed, which is yeah. another synonym, another, or I'm sorry, another antonym, another antonym to comfortable. for comfort, comfortable, yeah. You know, I think that reminds me, I think the last episode I used the word synonym when I meant antonym. So, Did you? Yeah, I'm just correcting myself now. Okay. Or I should say amending. <laughs> I don't have to <laughs> we, we don't make any mistakes to correct. We just amend no, what we previously no, said. No. We just make amendments. <laughs> I heard you say antonym correctly at least once. Did, okay, I think once. Yeah, I was listening I was listening to it the other day prepping for our postscript and thinking, did I just say synonym when I meant antonym? I think I might have. Yeah. Um, but perhaps I was saying synonyms for uncomfortable, which may be the yep. case. But I think that's probably what it was. So I love this line here about we're met to discuss our plans, our ways, means, policy, and devices. <laughs> is that like the most lawyerly talk you've ever heard? I know. I, I mean, know. this is coming from a former lawyer, you know, but I mean, I'm hearing it's like it makes me yeah. think of do not fold, bend, spindle, mutilate. <laughs> it's so overwrought, you know, it's yeah. It really is. Overwrought's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. He yeah. <laughs> just goes just on and on. At it again, you know. He says in those two full long paragraphs what could have been said in one simple line. Yeah. Which is, yeah. all right, well, let's get this, right, let's let's get get this show business. on the road. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got a tough task ahead of us. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he takes uh, two so. long paragraphs, very flowery speech. So I'm going to let you pick up uh, where we <laughs> marked uh, for you to read. Okay. So this is right at the end of Thorin's dialogue and uh, picking up from the next paragraph there. This was Thorin's style. He was an important dwarf. If he had been allowed, he would probably have gone on like this until he was out of breath, without telling anyone there anything that was not known already. (laughs) But he was rudely interrupted. Poor Bilbo couldn't bear it any longer. At May Never Return, he began to feel a shriek coming up inside, and very soon it burst out like the whistle of an engine coming out of a tunnel. All the dwarves sprang up, knocking over the table. 
Gandalf struck a, a blue light on the end of his magic staff, and in its firework glare the poor little hobbit could be seen kneeling on the hearthrug, shaking like a jelly that was melting. <laughs> then he fell flat on the floor and kept on calling out, Struck by lightning! Struck by lightning! Over and over again. And that was all they could get out of him for a long time. So they took him and laid him out of the way on the drawing room sofa with a drink at his elbow, and they went back to their dark business. To their dark business. <laughs> I love that whole sequence. That is it's just such a comedy great gold. Such I mean, a great I, paragraph. The movie version was, was you know, okay with Bilbo kind of reading kind of like and then fainting. Pa- fa- passing um, out, yeah. And it was a fantastic faint. <laughs> it was, yeah. Oh, nope. Martin Freeman is a master. Yeah. <laughs> he really does that well. Uh, but the idea of him shrieking and saying struck by lightning is just hilarious yeah. while he's shaking yeah. like a jelly. Yeah. Um, one thing I just want to address the the potential anachronism. Well, it's not potential. It's a real anachronism where he talks about a, uh, mm-hmm. the whistle of an engine coming out of a mm-hmm. tunnel. I mean, yeah. you and I can immediately picture and hear that. Um, certainly that doesn't fit in the storyline. Yeah. Right. But we do have to remember, unlike the – or I'm sorry, like the elephant anachronism we had earlier where he talks about – um, how hobbits can hide when big folk like us go stomping around like elephants. This is a word used by the narrator to the reader. Mm-hmm. So it's not something used by Bilbo. So it's, yeah. it's a little less anachronistic. Yeah. It's more yeah. a modern telling of an old story, right? Right, um, right. It's a translation. You know, again, he's translating it. He's, bringing, he's, yeah. he's putting it into terms that are meaningful to us because we are the yeah. audience. And especially um, a younger audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, we will see or we have already seen uh, true anachronism with Bilbo talking about, uh, you know, it's a great morning for a pipe full of tobacco. Mm-hmm. And we'll see Elephant again in the next chapter. And this time I think it is actually said by uh, one of the characters, by, said by Gandalf, I believe. So, uh, you know, we, we do see some of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to but this point one, that one this out. one works just fine for me. I mean, yeah. it is a it's a bit jarring if you've, you know, read the Silmarillion first. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If you've been following style along with us, and, you know, the style is totally different. It's even Lord of the Rings doesn't have any anything anachronistic like this. But, no, you know, that's OK. I'm 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 yeah. totally OK with this. Exactly. I know it, it, this does kind of bug some people, but um, it fits I think the style. It's a exactly, style thing. Exactly. This this work is just more translated. It's more accessible for, yeah. um, you know, for, you know, kind of a mainstream audience or just a an ordinary modern audience. Well, and with all the asides that we get from the narrator to the reader, it's mm-hmm. it's very different in, well, I guess a, in, in, a, in a narrative style. Uh, you know, he's not, you're not reading a book written by someone else for people in that same era to read. Right. You're, you're being told a story that happened long in the past. I mean, he might as well have mm-hmm. said long, long ago. And he did, right? He talks about yeah, back yeah. when the world was more green and there were more trees and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, when hobbits were more numerous. So yeah. he does say, you know, a long time ago. You yeah, know, <laughs> far, yeah far exactly. It, it, the whole thing is, is written from the perspective of the present looking back. Exactly. And that mm-hmm. makes this kind of anachronism okay. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I do like the idea of seeing Bilbo shaking like a jelly. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Definitely. Very good and, stuff. And and I, I just love, you know, the, the matter of fact, well, that was all they could get out of him for a long time. So they just kind of moved him out of the way. and get, All the guys put, put drink, struck by lightning. Let's go give him a drink. Put a drink next to him and, uh, and went back to it. It's so funny. Because apparently that's what he needs. He always needs a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm thinking Bilbo yeah. needs to talk to somebody. Yeah. He still, <laughs> hey, he still hasn't had that drink. He still wants that one. No, I don't know. I have no idea how many drinks he's had at this point. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Probably who knows? takes not a lot. Not enough. The answer is not enough. Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. 
It's the most awkward Wednesday he ever remembers. Yep. It's going to become the most hungover Thursday he's ever going to remember. <laughs> he's going to need two oh, breakfasts to get over it. There you go. Um, oh, goodness. So then we get that line about the dragon in a pinch, which is, you know, a, an idiom, a wonderful idiom. And the narrator explains that to us, mm-hmm. uh, that as it is poetical exaggeration, you know. And and, yeah. and that's the thing. We need to – there's there's another uh, thing like that, another – dragon in a pinch sort of line, I think, that, that Bilbo talks about later that we'll get to. Um, hint, it has to do with worms. So <laughs> I know the one you're thinking of. Yeah, and it's poetical yeah. exaggeration too. But but yeah. I do like the little sidebar on this, this little sidebar about golf thimble. I love yeah. this wonderful origin myth of the game of golf. It is phenomenal. I wish yeah. we had more of these kinds of things. I know. I know. This is like, such a fun one. I love it. Golf this thimble. This is a really fun one. <laughs> Golf thimble. Yeah. Um, now, great grand uncle. So old did you, took. Did you know ahead. that uh, it it wasn't originally Golf thimble in the earliest draft? Do you remember? No, uh, I don't what remember name who he, it was. Uh, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was originally Fingolfin. Fing- oh. <laughs> he was originally going to name the goblin Fingolfin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, of course, it has to have something with the name Golfin. Right. right? Exactly. But uh, just an interesting connection between King Golfin Bull and uh, and our good friend Fingolfin from the Silmarillion. That is hilarious. That yeah. really is. So yeah. Bull Roarer. I love that name, by the way. Bull Roarer. Oh, it's so, um, so great. Yeah. What a great name. And big enough that he can ride a horse. So, you know, the average hobbit is what? Three yeah. foot, three foot six, I think, somewhere in that yeah, range. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, to, to be big enough to ride a horse... He's got to at least be, what, almost four and a half feet, I would guess. Yeah. Um, can't imagine yeah. riding a horse really any smaller than that. Uh, so he's out there charging the ranks, knocked the head clean off with a wooden mm-hmm. club, which, well, frankly, how do you, I mean, come on, really? Physics makes me think that's not going to happen. It sailed 100 yards. You know, well, we were having this discussion yeah. actually recently at an event uh, where they were setting up a game of golf and bowl. Um, and was, there was like a little goblin head on a traffic cone, and you'd you'd hit it, uh, and towards oh, a, really? a little towards that or towards a rabbit. Yeah, it was at um, um, the Bilbo uh, the uh, Baggins birthday bash put on by the One Ring Oh, okay. And so to to I those of you, you who were there, that, yeah. hello. Um, we ended up not doing the game because of the wind, but uh, uh, we were discussing so, was it sailed a hundred feet or sailed a hundred yards? Oh, it had to have been only hundred feet. You couldn't make a head sail hundred yards. <laughs> well, there it so, is. So I'm sorry, I've never seen the game. I've never seen golf thimble played before. So I mean, I've seen golf, but yeah. um, so it's they actually put a goblin's head on a. They have stick. a goblin's head that's you know like the size of a softball on a on a on a like a traffic cone sort of tee, and okay. then you would hit it. And I guess the the object because we didn't play because it was windy. The object is to get it as close as possible to this uh, little rabbit. Okay, <laughs> that's a, but you're know, you're just hitting away. it with a stick. Right. Yeah, you're, you're not, hitting it with a stick, not with because a... it sounds like Aunt Sally if you were actually throwing the stick at the head. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Was it's like Aunt Sally? No, but you do have to bring your own horse and you charge. No, no, there's no horse involved. <laughs> um, you just you know hit it like like a baseball thing. Maybe you guys just put a broomstick um, between your yeah. between your legs, like uh, like Quidditch or something. Oh, like what's that? There's there's some. I, I I've seen this thing on the internet with these kids pretending to ride a horse and it's a broomstick. And it's oh, take it off. That. They're like, it's the weirdest thing. I, really? Yeah. I'm just going to leave that right there. Because <laughs> I don't remember, like, in what country this is becoming popular, but it's it's huh. an unusual thing. 
I will. I will maybe look it up during just for fun. <laughs> just for during, fun. Uh, just during you know one of your reads or something. But so golf. Well, we digress. Golf. I love this. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a fun way to invent a sport, mm-hmm. and uh, I I kind of wish that we'd find uh, that they invented hockey or they invented soccer or they invented yeah, some yeah. other game. Uh, I'd yeah. love to find out how that happened, but. Oh, goodness. Uh, so, you know, Bilbo <laughs> kind of gets his act together after he has a drink. Um, mm-hmm. And he hears Glowin kind of talking bad about him behind his back, going, yeah. well, you know, all he needs to do is shriek like that once and we're all dead. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure we came to the wrong house. And that's where you get the famous line about looking more like a grocer more than like a burglar. A grocer. Yep. Uh, but this is where the took side comes out again. I'm going to read these next couple of paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Then Mr. Baggins turned the handle and went in. The took side had won. He suddenly felt he would go without bed and breakfast to be thought fierce. As for little fellow bobbing on the mat, it almost made him really fierce. Many a time afterwards, the Baggins part regretted what he did now, and he said to himself, Bilbo, you were a fool. You walked right in and put your foot in it. Pardon me, he said, if I have overheard words that you were saying. I don't pretend to understand what you are talking about or your reference to burglars, but I think I am right in believing, this is what he called being on his dignity, that you think I am no good. I will show you. I have no signs on my door. It was painted a week ago, and I am quite sure you have come to the wrong house. As soon as I saw your funny faces on the doorstep, I had my doubts. But treat it as the right one. Tell me what you want done, and I will try it if I have to walk from here to the east of east and fight the wild wereworms in the last desert. I had a great, great, great granduncle once. Bull Roarer took, and and then uh, <laughs> oh That's great. man, being on Go, his dignity. <laughs> I li- I like that. I like that. I he's, do. <laughs> it's such a nice little hobbity phrase, you know. He's being Isn't on his it? dignity. It's a very um, proper sort of thing, you know. It's the yeah. propriety deal again. Yeah. yeah well, it, you know, he he has you know he has dignity. He's going to keep yeah. his dignity. His Absolutely. you know he's. He's already been made uncomfortable by this whole experience. And, mm-hmm, you know, his, mm-hmm. his courtesy has, has, you know, the veneer of his courtesy has broken a little bit. You know, the... Uh, Mr. Baggins, the courtesy of your whole is lessened of late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so that sorry is, about that. That is an awful, awful That is pun. a terrible, terrible pun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, but he is going to insist on keeping his dignity, isn't he? Yes, yes, um, he is. And uh, and you know, and, and it's interesting that uh, this is the second time that we we get that. Um, I'm going to just go back a few sentences. Uh, the little sure. fellow bobbing on the mat bit. You know, yeah. This yeah, is the yeah. second time we see that it's a specific phrase that kind of triggers something oh, in yeah. him that makes it really him, gets that him he reacts mad. to. Yeah, yeah, that makes him really fierce. He kind of um, reminds me of Marty McFly. He's just waiting for somebody to call him chicken. <laughs> you know, and then he just loses it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, little fellow but, uh, bobbing on the mat. There's your Back to the Future reference, folks. For those of you, very who good. That's I can't that. believe it's taken us fifty seriously episodes fifty plus to episodes get to get there. Yeah. Um, I love how Man. the again we get the very clear delineation between the Took side and the Baggins side. Oh right? yes. The Took yeah. side wins, mm-hmm. and that's where the fierceness comes from. But I love that the Baggins, the Baggins, part, the Baggins part, part regrets it. Regrets it. Yeah. <laughs> like you were many a time afterwards. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we'll see many of those times. A oh, yes. lot of those times will be called out very specifically. Yeah. Uh, others will have to infer, but yep. uh, definitely be able to see. I love the, uh, the 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 idiom at the end of the thing, though, about fighting the wild wereworms. Um, let's just be clear. That's what we call hyperbole and um, poetical <laughs> do you, exaggeration. 
Do you mean to say there aren't really wereworms in the last desert? I'm not Do you mean to say there really aren't Fremen out there somewhere? Fremen. (laughs) We have worms, sign. We have Uh, worms, sign, the likes of which Eru has never seen. (laughs) Eru has never seen. I mean, do do any of the the hobbits actually know where the last desert even is? I'm not sure. I mean, this is. Who knows if there is a Who knows if there is a last desert? You know, east of east. I mean, it is. This is like East of Eden or something. It's a. It's a. Yeah. It's a. You know. It's a. It's a phrase. It's like you said. It's it's a hyperbolic phrase for someplace really far away. Yeah. I'd walk a thousand miles for a burger. Right. Good. Right. You know. I mean, come on. No, you're not. Right. Yep. Or I'd go to the moon for that. Well, okay, that's more, you know, even clearly impossible. Right, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing to suggest that the werewormas are real. Um, no, unfortunately, nope. just um, and certainly not like that. That <laughs> the Battle of the Five Armies Shai fiasco. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh man. goodness, 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 I, goodness. It's it's funny that he goes straight to Bull Roar or Took too. Bull, yes. Bull well, he's probably so, the only. He's probably, probably the, the only, only right example the only of an adventurer, notable in his ancestor family. that he has worth bragging about. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to say, you know, I had a mother once, Belladonna Took, right? <laughs> who was a fabulous yeah. daughter of the old Took, right? Yeah, one of the remarkable daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he should say, you know, I had a fairy ancestor once, but anyway. yeah. So, of course, Glowen tells him, no, 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 there really is a sign. Uh, And and by the way, the sign is much more complex than I originally thought. I just thought it was the Gandalf rune, but it's apparently, Burglar wants a good job, plenty of excitement and reasonable reward. Yeah. That's quite a a That's a lot to have scratched into the door. (laughs) Yeah. I really think, like, like Gandalf owes him a paint job. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, uh, they get get the, uh, the... Gandalf's defense of his choice. And, you know, we're not going to, mm. again, go into too much detail there, but I love this. He's basically telling him, look, I've chosen him, and that needs to be enough for you. That should I'm, be enough, yeah. I'm Gandalf, and I love this line. I will read it. If I say he's a burglar, then a burglar he is, or he will be when the time comes. And Boy, that, that is that, an important qualifier, that isn't That is it? a very important qualifier, yeah. And he even yeah. reminds them, look, there's more to him than you know, and there's mm-hmm. more to him than he knows. Than he even knows himself, yep. So, and then we finally start yep. to get a little control over this meeting. And I think the importance <laughs> of that qualifier is just, you know, hey, he, he may not be a be- he may not be a burglar yet, but he will he will find yeah. it. Yeah. By the he time you get to Erebor, he mm-hmm. will either be dead or he'll be a burglar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, really, you know. Uh, he's going to, this is survival of the fittest, folks. Yeah. Um, so then we get into the details. We get the plan starts coming out. He pulls out the map. Oh, the map uh, He tells him, out. "Hey, this map was your was made by your grandfather." Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then you've got something to to read for us. Yep. <clears throat> there is one point that you haven't noticed," said the wizard, "and that is the secret entrance. You see that rune on the west side, and the hand pointing to it from the other runes. That marks a hidden passage to the lower halls." Look at the map at the beginning of this book, and you will see there the runes. It may have been secret once, said Thorin. But how do we know that it is secret any longer? Old Smaug has lived there long enough now to find out anything there is to know about those caves. He may, but he can't have used it for years and years. Why? Because it is too small. Five feet high the door, and three may walk abreast, see the runes. 
But Smaug could not creep into a hole that size, not even when he was a young dragon, certainly not after devouring so many of the dwarves and men of Dale. Well, are you saying Smaug needs to lose weight? He's I not going to really, say that to his you... face. Probably not. <laughs> You're not going to say that to him. He needs to eat a um, salad like uh, like Bomber did. Like Bomber. You're right. He needs to get in, start getting in shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, first off, we get that wonderful aside. Look at the map at the beginning of this book. So once again, yeah. the narrator is directly addressing the reader. Yeah. Uh, yeah telling him where to go to look at this map. Uh, and then we get another little trick of his. You know, we talked about how he has this tendency to make dangerous situations seem a little less serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even when he's talking about the dragon eating people, he just makes it sound like, well, he's like, know, well, he's gained so much weight from eating all these so people. Much weight. He's yeah. a little chubby now. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of like a hobbit in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from, from eating people really. Right. But, but he kind of blows it off. Like, you know, it, it's right. Like, yeah. He doesn't focus. He doesn't focus on he's eaten so many, you know, poor yeah. young men he's and women. He's torn them know? from yeah. from limb to limb right. and shredded them with his right. teeth. Right. He doesn't he doesn't go into like the horror. like chunky salsa when he's done and yeah, no. I mean, it's just <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go into the the gruesome no, details. No, he doesn't get it's gory just, about it. No, he's just like, hey, he's eaten so many people. He just he right. cannot possibly get through that. And hole. that is a pretty small hole for a dragon. I mean, 5 for feet sure. high. 5 feet high. You and I would have to duck and I'd feel very claustrophobic. Well, I mean, I would have to mm-hmm. duck. I'm not sure about you. Um <laughs> I would have to duck. Sorry. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm You're short, but I'm not the that take there, buddy. I'm, I'm short, but I'm not that. No, I was actually I trying know. to figure out how wide it was if three may walk abreast. I know. It's probably I'm nine figuring feet my wide. nine to ten feet. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> I was too busy thinking about that that I missed <laughs> it when you said I'm dwarf sized. Um, I'm uh, short, yeah. but I'm not that short. I know. I know. I'm close. I'm not very tall. I'm, <laughs> I'm truly. Very... I'm not very tall either. But yeah, I mean, I would feel pretty claustrophobic, frankly. Um, at yeah, that, at that size, yeah. and I'm just a human, not a dragon. Three yeah. may walk abreast. Yeah, I think you're right. Probably nine to ten feet wide, um, especially dwarves. Probably closer to ten feet. They're they're you know big stocky. That's dudes. true. They're broad. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know. Yeah. So Bilbo, of course, thinks that's a big hole. <laughs> He's, yeah. I, <laughs> um, but I want to um, yeah. spend a moment on these runes. Um, yeah. Because uh, I just think it's worth pointing out. You know, we we talk so much about, you know, the different scripts and things of Tolkien's Tolkien's world. I think it's worth noting to anybody who doesn't know already, and this is probably something a lot of people have picked up on, but the runes on Thror's map are actually not um, the, the Kerthas, the, the the elvish runes that are in the back mm-hmm. of uh, of Lord of the Rings. They're actually, he's oh, taken yeah. Anglo-Saxon runes, Old English runes, mm-hmm. um, and used those for this map. The uh, the runes they call the Futhork. Okay. And uh, he's basically taking those runes. And you were just looking for an excuse to get an old English word in, weren't you? Yeah, I was because <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I usually yeah. butcher the pronunciations so much. I, I can't wait to see. <laughs> I wanted to see how, how badly I would do with this one. Uh, Futhork, I think it is. I think so. But um, yeah, so these are like basically just the runes that, you know, were, were once written to, once used to write Old English. And, right. And what's interesting about that is, again, it's just another, um, it's further evidence of this idea that this has been translated. You know, he's taken... Right. Exactly. He's taken a Westron language and a Westron runic script, and he's translated it into English written in an English runic script. It's it's mm-hmm. just another way that he sort of brings it down to um, the level of, you know, maybe children or or somebody who's new yeah. to this world. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's – and I guess I should, you know, point out, like, it's not – even for dwarvish runes that are used in Lord of the Rings, like I'm thinking of the runes on Balin's tomb in Moria, they're – 
those are different. <laughs> those are not the same as these runes. Those are actually based on those elvish runes, the Karthas of Dairon. Um, so I just wanted to point that out briefly. It's um, it's it's a runic script that's pretty easy to learn, just you know, by mm-hmm. going out and just like looking up the Anglo-Saxon runes, things like that. But yeah. it was the it was the first runic script that I learned. I'll put it that way. You've learned a runic script. <laughs> I, I learned this one, and then I was I was fairly proficient in the in the Karthas for a, for a while in in high school. Yeah. No, I think I, I remember practicing the Karthas quite a few quite yeah. a few times. I think they were written on most of my peachy folders. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, any any of my trapper keepers and stuff like that. There I, you I go. they were used to be covered with Tanguar and runes and things like that. I love that. So we learn uh we learn a little bit more about the, the nature of Dwarvish doors. Mm-hmm. Um we get the key. Uh so you know, we're we're kind of moving here because we wanna make sure we get uh through to the end of the tale, but um, the key. Now it's interesting. I remember I'll have to look up the actual years, but I remember looking at the timeline and that Gandalf ends up visiting, uh, or ends up visiting. Like he's just stopping by for a visit in jail. He ends up, you know, getting into Dol Guldur, um, you know, and, and finding Thrain and, and getting the the map and the key. Some like eighty years before this moment. I mean, it's, it wasn't like he did this last week, you know. Yeah, um, gonna, oh, but I'm then of course, can, I'm see yeah, Smaug. Smaug has been in the mountain now for well over a hundred years at this yeah. point. Uh, so a lot of time has passed since, and that's something else to keep in mind when we're reading that that song, reading the poetry. A lot of time has passed since that dragon attack, uh, and yet it features so strongly uh, still in their in their history and in their songs. Twenty eight fifty. Okay. When Gandalf is when found Gandalf is when Gandalf went to Dolgaldor and found Thrain. And and what year are we in here at the beginning of the Hobbit? This is twenty nine. Um, 2950 something? 2941. 40. Okay, 2941. Wow. So 71 years he's had the map and the key. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, you know, he just wanted to hold on to it. um, Well, that's interesting. Wait, 2850. So when did I think he was waiting for the right moment, you know? Thrain died in 2850, and this is 2941. Doesn't Gandalf make a comment about. Thrain having died a hundred years ago? Uh, no, he it makes a comment about him having left. Oh, that's uh, it. We'll okay. get to that. Yeah, but we'll get All to right. that. He, Thank you. I was like, wait, um, I'm, am I losing it? No, no. Have, well, have maybe, I completely but not forgotten related how to, to do this. Math? <laughs> well, that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, they they talk about possible plans about how they might get there, and uh, eventually, you know, Thorne's like, well, we could just go straight up there, uh, you know, into the south of the mountain, but Gandalf. That would be no good, said the wizard, not without a mighty warrior, even a hero. I tried to find one, but warriors are busy finding one another in distant lands, and in this neighborhood, heroes are scarce, or simply not to be found. Swords in these parts are mostly blunt, and axes are used for trees, and shields as cradles or dish covers, and dragons are comfortably far off and therefore legendary. That is why I settled on burglary especially when I remembered the existence of a side door. And here is our little Bilbo Baggins, the burglar, the chosen and selected burglar. So now let's get on and make some plans. Very well, then, said Thorin. Supposing the burglar expert gives us some ideas or suggestions. He turned with mock politeness to Bilbo. First, I should like to know a bit more about things, said he, feeling all confused and a bit shaky inside, but so far still tookishly determined to go on with things. I mean about the gold and the dragon and all that, and and how it got there and who it belongs to, and so on and further. Bless me, said Thorin, 
Haven't you got a map? And didn't you hear our song? And haven't we been talking about all this for hours? All the same, I should like it all plain and clear, said he obstinately, putting on his business manner, usually reserved for people who try to borrow money off him, and doing his best to appear wise and prudent and professional and live up to Gandalf's recommendation. Also, I should like to know about risks, out-of-pocket expenses, time required and remuneration and so forth, by which he meant, what am I going to get out of it and am I going to come back alive? Which is a valid question, I must add. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I find it interesting that this is one of those, hey, the movie was really different. Uh, it's Bilbo who brings up the kind of contractual details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the one who wants to know the specifics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the dwarves, you know, having him... The dwarves come across as kind of... Um, oh, what's the word? Uh, kind of unrealistic. You know, they're, they're not really thinking yeah. about the details. Um, they're no, kind of high in the sky about the whole thing. They really are, very much so. And Bilbo <laughs> is uh, just some. It's very hobbitish, very businesslike. It's you know very, um, yeah, very modern in a way. You know, to want to it know is. to want to know all this stuff. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. So the idea of and and he and, you know he's doing it partly to you know to appear wise and prudent and professional and live up to yeah, Gandalf's recommendation, yeah. which I think is really really interesting. It is interesting. You know, he, and, you know, later he, we get He now the, cares what Gandalf thinks of him. He does care what Gandalf thinks because Gandalf has recommended him. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a little self, a uh, little pride there. Yeah. Um, I like the mock you know, politeness. We get that. That's oh, key. Oh, mock politeness is brilliant. Mock I mean, politeness <laughs> because we'll see a lot of the, mock stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's that sarcasm that, it is. that it we is. were talking about. And it's interesting because, you know, politeness is kind of all Bilbo has right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and Thor, and Thorin is just yeah. kind of mocking him. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up really quickly before sure, your sure. passage. I just noticed something looking at this. Um, before that, they were looking at the map. They were talking right. about um, Thorin said we would go east as far as the Long Lake. After that, the trouble would begin. And Gandalf right. said, "A long time before that, if I know anything about the roads east." Yes. And then Thorin takes no notice. None at all. Yeah, he just ignores that. He ignores. He ignores good counsel, doesn't he? <laughs> he doesn't yes, listen he does. to counsel many times, many times. And I just, I, I just picked up on that. It's like you know, yeah. What have we said about people who don't listen to sound counsel? You know that. Yeah, usually bad things happen. Never That's a true. good way to, never a way to succeed in Middle Earth. Yeah, especially when you're turning down counsel from Gandalf. Yes, he, he the man um, knows what he's talking about. He certainly the does. wizard knows what he's talking about. Wizards usually do. Mm-hmm. I also noticed another use of the word comfort, uh, it, that dragons are comfortably far off and therefore legendary. Mm. Um, again, the idea is that that comfort, you know, we come back to that again, the fact that these threats are not present, therefore people can be comfortable and, and yeah. think of them as imaginary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we get... Um, we, we get Bilbo demanding the details. So later when he gets the, the little letter that we'll see in the next chapter, the contract uh, that the movie made such a big fuss out of, mm-hmm. that's sarcastic. That's just intended to, to kind of poke fun at Bilbo's demand yeah. to know about risks and out-of-pocket expenses and remuneration. Yeah, that's, uh, that's you know, a key point. It, it really is. The dwarves aren't, you know, making the some are not grand plan like with contracts. Yeah. No, they're not. Right. Uh, they're they're just let's get this job done. So, mm-hmm. uh, so then we get the backstory. It's, and it, ahead, you so know, sorry. it's interesting how he's um, when he when he specifically asks who it belongs to. Yes, you know, there's a there's Does a he really subtle not been paying attention. 
Yeah. But there's a subtle thing in there. He just, he wants to make sure that this is all on the level. And maybe it's yeah. that word burglar yeah, yeah. that has kind of tipped him off. Like, am I actually stealing something? Yeah, or, am I doing you know, something does, wrong? Does this yeah. really belong to you guys? And yeah. That's a good point. You're right. I think he does want to be, you know, this is all on the up and up. Yeah. Um, so then we get the actual backstory. And we're not going to read this. Uh, we're going to get a little bit later. But um, we get this really a, a strong sense of, of pride. We get this desire to reclaim the, the old days. Mm-hmm. He, he talks yeah. about, um, my goodness, he talks about a whole lot of things. I love this. The toy market of Dale is the wonder of the North. I love yeah. that line because, again, it's a nod to the fact that, you know, this is a kid's story. This is a kid's story. Yeah. And that so seems to be. the toy market. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. it's right after that that undoubtedly that was what brought the dragon. <laughs> the toys. <laughs> it sure seems that way. I mean, I know. Maybe the, the what... armor and the jewels and the carvings and the cups, maybe. Right. But it's right after that, right? <laughs> right he after talks the toy about market. the. Yeah. Yeah. But in the toy market of Dale was the wonder of the North. Not to yeah. talk about the most marvelous and magical toys. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the dragons were, uh, you know, very interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um you're not kidding about the sense of nostalgia. I mean, when he's talking about, you know, kings used to send oh, for our smiths. I mean, man. that's a lot of the, they would reward yeah. even the least skillful, the most, you know, most richly, you know. The, Pay us handsomely. Yeah. Um, immensely rich and famous, great reverence mm-hmm. by the mortal men. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really. I mean, the poorest, the poorest of us had money to spend and to lend and leisure to make beautiful things just for the fun of it. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. that That's a, a pretty high level of success for that culture. Yeah, um, and then, and then there's, the a really, there's a real sense of what's been lost. They're not what they used oh. to be. Well, Reminds yeah. me a bit of uh, Londo Malari from Babylon Five. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I want us to be what we used to be. Can you take care of that, Mister Morden? <laughs> Mister Morden. Yes, yes, he can. He'll take care of Sector Thirty Nine tomorrow. Was it Sector 39, Sector 37? I don't remember. One of those, yeah. One of those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it'll just take care of it. Babylon 5, season one. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The very end. You're right. Good stuff. Man, I love that show. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so then we get the dragon, the attack of the dragon, uh, and the fact that he drove them all away, killed most of them, mm-hmm. uh, and that he is probably sleeping on a pile of, uh, of gold that he's heaped up for himself. Uh, but he does come out still and and carry people away to eat until Dale just disappeared. <laughs> yes, uh, that's well. Yeah, you know, the good clue number one that you shouldn't be in this neighborhood anymore is well. Every once in a while, a dragon flies by and eats somebody. <laughs> it's property, property values, values are down. just are not what they used to be. No, yeah. no. Well, you know, <laughs> can't sell this house. Had it listed nope. for six months. Nope. No offers. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Honey, there's a, there's a dragon in that mountain. Did you did you hear that? There's a there's a dragon up there. There's a dragon. It's <laughs> imagining, <laughs> imagining the couple going to buy this house in Dale and yeah. Anyway. Oh, it's so cute. It's a nice little three bedroom. Yeah. I mean, there's some burn marks, but you know, it's mostly good. It's in good shape. It's a fixer upper. Um, but yeah, the neighborhood's really gone downhill. Oh and yeah, and the steel bars on your windows aren't going to help. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> so, um, so Thorne does acknowledge that. Look, hey, we, we still have some wealth. Uh, we you know we have a good a good bit laid by. He says, mm-hmm. uh, but we still mean to get it back and to bring our curses home to Smaug. Yeah, if we can. And there's that there's that little bit of revenge. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Uh, and we'll get uh, we'll get a little bit more of an idea of revenge here as you read the next passage about Thrain's story. All right. I have often wondered about my father's and my grandfather's escape. I see now they must have had a private side door which only they knew about. But apparently they made a map, and I should like to know how Gandalf got hold of it and why it did not come down to me, the rightful heir. <laughs> I did not question. get hold of it. I was given it, said the wizard. Your grandfather, Thrall, was killed, you remember, in the mines of Moria by Azog the Goblin. Curse his name, yes, said Thorin. And Thrain, your father, went away on the 21st of April, a hundred years ago last Thursday, and has never been seen by you since. True, true, said Thorin. Well, your father gave me this to give to you, and if I have chosen my own time and way for handing it over, you can hardly blame me, considering the trouble I had to find you. Your father could not remember his own name when he gave me the paper, and he never told me yours. So on the whole, I think I ought to be praised and thanked. Here it is, said he, handing the map to Thorin. I don't understand, said Thorin. And Bilbo felt he would have liked to say the same. The explanation did not seem to explain. Hmm. Your grandfather, said the wizard slowly and grimly, gave the map to his son for safety before he went to the mines of Moria. Your father went away to try his luck with the map after your grandfather was killed, and lots of adventures of a most unpleasant sort he had, but he never got near the mountain. How he got there, I don't know, but I found him a prisoner in the dungeons of the necromancer. And you can almost hear the dum-dum-dum. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's there's a lot in this passage, uh, really. Mm, I, yeah. I, first of all, we're reminded that Azog killed Thror, and mm-hmm. so clearly is not still around. No. <laughs> In fact, we we know that he's dead by this point. Um, I love this phrase. Thrain went away a hundred years ago last Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the That's awkward I, Wednesday bit, right? Yeah. It's this, and and really, it's a hundred years ago just the other day, precisely. That's quite, amazing. Quite a quite a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, a little quinky dink there. Yeah. Um, and there's the hundred years I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, for that's the line you were. That actually yeah, was. exactly. Um, I, I love Gandalf's little attitude. Like, well, really, you should be oh, thanking me. You should not be thanking me. me for, yeah. Well, because um, this is Thorin's. This is Thorin's greed and pride of yeah. birthright coming out in sort of the most pernicious yeah, way. He's, he's, you know, Gandalf is the guy who's trying to help you, and all you can do exactly. is think of like, well, how did you get your hands on this? Like, he's, yeah, you, know, you should have given it to me right away, but he didn't right. know it was his to give. Right. I mean, he yeah. didn't know who to give it to. Right. I mean. Thrain didn't know his own name. He certainly didn't tell mm-hmm. him Thorin's name, so he had to figure all that on his own. Right. Um, he did quite well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, it only took him 71 years to figure it out. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my goodness, found him a prisoner in the dungeons of the necromancer. So mm-hmm. we do get, you know, the text goes on to talk about basically uh, Thorin being, well, you know, we should we should take, you know, we should go to give him a little action. Oh, yeah, we should, we should like, give some thought to him. Gandalf's like, no, no. That he is he's... way beyond you. Wait, yeah. let's do the line. This is a foe beyond any of you. Fly. <laughs> Fly. <laughs> yeah. An enemy far um, beyond the powers of all the dwarves put together. Put together. If they could all be collected again from the four corners of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I'll have to look at the first edition it's... to see if the necromancer was was put in that in that strong of a... Uh, it, oh, it, it was described yeah. that strongly because, of course, in the first edition, he wasn't anybody but the necromancer. And it's only here in the, the most recent version 
after the Lord of the Rings came out that, you know, Tolkien is uh, seeing him as Sauron. So we'll have I wonder, to look that I, up. I wonder, though. Are, yeah, I, I wonder because, I mean, he certainly – he had been working on Baron and Luthien. I mean, he knew about, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he was calling him Thu at the time, but there was the necromancer right. character. Um, yeah. So I wonder if he actually was – Maybe inspired by that, even if he hadn't quite equated him yet. Yeah, yeah, that um, may be. That'd be something we'll worth to looking see. into. That'll be worth looking into, maybe for a postscript. Yeah, um, but uh, it's so, a great little bit of foreboding, you know. That isn't it? He, he mentions, oh, yeah. and it's one of those things that makes the world feel bigger, you know. And obviously, we'll it get does. more of Sauron and Lord of the Rings, but um, at this bigger. point, it's just you know the necromancer, and yeah, you don't really know much else about him presence. except that he's yeah he yeah and he's just sort of looming on the fringes of this story. Yeah, well, that's a good way to put it. So we do get that Bilbo then has a plan. So he suggests that they go, um, uh, you know, to the side door and that they'll sit around and think about something and think, you know, we'll, we'll think of something when we're there. It's not much of a plan, <laughs> yeah. really, frankly. Yeah. Um, but he's sit basically saying that. Enough, we'll think of something. I think he's saying that basically to say, let's wrap this up because he right after that, he's like, I think we talked long enough for one night, if you see what I mean. What about bed and an early start and all that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I love this. I will give you a good breakfast before you go. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and get out of my lives forever. Get out of right, my life Right, exactly. Forever, yeah. Thorne will have none of it saying, yeah. <laughs> you mean before we before go. Before we go, I suppose you And mean, then he yeah. gives him perhaps the, the, the tastiest breakfast order I've seen, but one that's probably going to jump his cholesterol numbers. I like six eggs with my ham. Fried, yeah. not poached, and mine don't break them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the, the rest of the chapter, and then we'll discuss that. After all the others had ordered their breakfast without so much as a please, which annoyed Bilbo very much. Again, there's the, the, the manners thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the courtesy. They, they all got up. The hobbit had to find room for them all and filled all his spare rooms and made beds on chairs and sofas before he got them all stowed and went to his own little bed very tired and not altogether happy. One thing he did make his mind up about was not to bother to get up very early and cook everybody else's wretched breakfast. The tookishness was wearing off, and he was not now quite so sure that he was going on any journey in the morning. As he lay in bed, he could hear Thorin still humming to himself in the best bedroom next to him. Far over the misty mountains cold, to dungeons deep and caverns old, we must away ere break of day. To find our long-forgotten gold. Bilbo went to sleep with that in his ears, and it gave him very uncomfortable dreams. It was long after the break of day when he woke up. <laughs> and like we said, the chapter practically ends with ends uncomfortable. With this, un, with this uncomfort, yeah, discomfort. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's all because of the Dwarvish song, the Dwarvish mm-hmm. gold, mm-hmm. and this mission. I, I, I love the humor of the passage, though. I got to admit, oh, it's, oh, yeah, everybody else's wretched breakfast. Yeah, I'm not going to make their wretched breakfast. Awesome. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though, that the structure of this this closing, you know, the mm-hmm. this very Baggins-ish, you know, first oh, paragraph. Yeah. Uh, the Tukishness is wearing off, but then what do we end on? We end on, you know, this. We end on him listening to this song that awoke the Tuk yeah. in him, and um, and he's going to sleep with that in his ears. You know, he's he can't escape it. No. Um, it is no, long after the, br- the break of day when he wakes up. So there's already he's already sort of failing yeah. to live up to the promise of the poem. Yeah, because he's not going away before break of day. But uh, but still, he's you know he's going to sleep with this with this in his ears, and you know mm-hmm. we, we should not be surprised when the Turkish part of him wakes up again. 
Absolutely. Oh, and I want to point out one other little Hobbit, uh, you know, propriety thing. You know, we already talked about how it really bugged him that they didn't say please even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Notice that when he laid in bed, he could hear Thorin humming in the best bedroom next to him. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, gave, yeah. He gave Thorin so the, the, the primo bedroom. bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, never, I didn't pick up on that. I, I was always thinking of it as sort of like, you know, the best guest bedroom. But no, it's the best I'm bedroom. I'm not sure. I think it's the I best bedroom. I think you're bedroom. right. I think you're right. I think he gave yeah. Thorin his bed. Because here he's, uh, he did go to his own little bed, very tired. But I, I think that's his, like, a little bed. That's like as opposed to his own big bed, <laughs> which Thorin is in, in the best bedroom next to him. Oh, I want, yeah. I want um, yeah, I don't know. It but be, I, it, I don't it, know. It's, it's certainly it, very propriety. You know, he def- that's, that's, he's he definitely given a, a place of honor, for sure. He does. And even though he's still not going to get up and make them breakfast, no, which no. I love. It's like, fine, I'll get you all places to sleep, but I'm going to be, I'm darned if I'm going to make you breakfast. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, That's goodness. fantastic. That was a great discussion, Sean. Folks, be sure to join us again in one week. That's right. You heard correctly. We talked about this briefly at the beginning of the show. Uh, our Patreon campaign has reached our second goal. So we are going to start releasing episodes weekly as long and as often as we are able. Yep, so you can ignore what I said last time about this episode, (laughs) but the next next episode being two weeks away. uh, You won't have to wait those interminable two-week waits anymore. That's right. And be sure to tune in next week when we'll spot trolls long before the Internet made them popular. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we wrap up with a question or two from Bartleman's Bag, if you believe we've earned your support here at the Prancing Pony Podcast, we would ask you to please consider joining our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. It's thanks to our Patreon family that we're able to make this move to weekly, and we have another big goal down the road a ways, not to mention some really fun and cool rewards, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and we do want to take a moment to thank those of you who've already joined uh, the Fellowship absolutely. of the Podcast. Uh, you are helping to make this show even better, and, and we really appreciate that. And a very special shout out to mm-hmm. Maya in Michigan and Jason in British Columbia, our patrons at the Kierdance Contribution Tier. Uh, and if you want a personalized shout out on our episodes, well, now you know where to go. That's right. And while your patronage is really appreciated, we don't want you to feel obligated. Only if you can afford it, and only if you think we've earned it, do we want you to consider signing up. Otherwise, just keep enjoying the podcast, because we're going to keep making it. Yeah, although we could still use a little help on the survey from our podcast host. It is really, really short, not even 30 seconds, um, and it will help us understand our audience a bit better. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, I promise we will stop mentioning this once we get to 250. Um, So please visit survey.libsyn, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com slash The Prancing Pony Podcast, and please help us out. Absolutely. The, the demographic data that they're asking for, it's only collected in aggregate, and Sean and I are the only ones who are going to get your email addresses. Once we get 250 completed surveys, we're going to do a drawing from all the email addresses. We'll be giving away a copy of the new Baron and Luthien book and a first edition facsimile edition of The Hobbit. Uh, again, we're asking that to be for U.S. residents only, please, just because of shipping costs. Uh, please check out our show notes for a link if you missed it. Sean, do we have any questions in Bartleman's bag this time around? Yeah, we've got two that I think we can get through in the time we have left. Uh, The first one comes to us from Christopher B. in Michigan. He's one of our patrons. And remember Mm -hmm. that priority handling of your questions to Bartleman's bag is one perk of joining the fellowship at the legacy of Lothlorien level or higher. Um, You know one thing drives out another where Barliament is concerned. (laughs) So uh, um, definitely uh, definitely making it worth your while with that priority access. Bob and Knob will remind him. 
Yes, exactly. So Christopher wrote to us saying, um, really, uh, more of a comment than a question. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it is kind of long, but I really want to read the whole thing because I, I, I really love it. Or, or I guess I'll read most of, the, most of it, almost sure. the whole thing. Christopher said, I was struck with a thought while listening to your review of the Lord of the Rings movies on the last episode. So this would have been uh, episode 50. Mm-hmm. You were commenting on the semi-lameness of having Pippin light the beacon fire <laughs> with lots of excellent discussion about what it said about Denethor. Thank you, Christopher. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I did think of something worth pointing out, or so I believe. This isn't the first significant thing Pippin has lit on fire. There's his introduction scene in the Fellowship movie oh, yeah. where he and Mary have some fun with Gandalf's fireworks. I think we're seeing a callback and contrast between these these two pyro scenes, possibly as a shortcut <laughs> for indicating that Pippin is growing up. Uh-huh. Huh. I also wanted to react to your discussion of uh, the Pippin sings while everybody dies scene. <laughs> it's so well, interesting how it's so interesting how we experience that differently. He says. Um, he says I am blind and was thus unaware of the Denethor food porn. <laughs> Uh, for me, He's this was simply a scene of haunting music, uh, inappropriate mm. to the lyrics, it's true, set against the tension building of Howard Shore's score. And that moment when all the music goes away before Pippin sings Fade still mm. raises the hair on the back of my neck to this day. Oh, yeah. Finally, I wanted just to remind people of what it was like the first time Annie Lennox began singing at the end of Return of the King. It's oh, been wow. most of 14 years since most of us experienced that for the first time. Do you remember sitting in the theater with tears running down your face? I know that all of us in the theater on that December morning in 2003, when I saw it for the first time, lingered in a group, sharing the truth of Gandalf's parting statement, I will not say, do not weep, and forward. We had shared something remarkable, and if you were there on opening day, you probably had been waiting for the Jackson movies for many years, or were being introduced to Tolkien through them. I can't speak for other people's experience, but we in that theater got to feel something of Sam's grief and return to the loving arms of Rose Cotton. Mm. This amazing odyssey we'd been on for three years was over. You would never see that movie again for the first time. And so we wept and lingered. I still tear up when Annie Lennox begins singing and the horns swell into the Going West theme. Yeah. And so, while they weren't perfect, and while we can mourn for the Faramir we never got to see, and even more, <laughs> and even more, while the Hobbit movies were a net negative in the world, <laughs> oh, let yeah. us raise a toast to all who had a hand in the making of these epics that let us feel the sorrow of the elves and the joy of a homegoing Hobbit. There will never be their like again, though others may well go at it from other points of view. Mm. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much for that. Uh, beautifully yeah. said. Um, yeah. Going back to the very beginning, you know, first of all, your observation about the the beacons showing Pippin growing up, uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're really onto something there. He's he's setting a fire yeah. for a productive purpose instead of just to make mischief. <laughs> I think that's a really brilliant insight, um, that is good and, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. As for the rest of it, um, yeah, um, absolutely, uh, yes, I do agree. You know, despite their flaws, <laughs> there's there's so much good there. There there's so yeah. much emotional impact, especially of the Lord of the Rings movies specifically. Um, And I just wanted to share that uh, here on the show. Again, um, thank you all for, you know, allowing me to read something kind of long because it's, I just really wanted everybody to hear that. And, um, and I want everyone to know that, you know, we do love the movies. We love the Lord of the Rings movies, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and to kind of, you know, put those discussions kind of behind us on a positive note. You know, there was yeah, a, there was a lot true. of, you know, we, we, we engaged we in a lot of criticism. It. I think rightly yeah. so. Um, sure. We criticize them from a place of love, but I think Christopher, yeah. you know, while, while sharing in some of our criticism has, has really hit on, you know, the, the, the pure 
joy and the pure beauty yeah. and, and effect that those movies had on us the first and some time. Some of the so, community. Some of the yeah, sense and the of community. sense of community. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely remember that. I remember going to see those movies for the first time. I remember seeing Return of the King. Uh, at, I had two different sneak preview opportunities before it actually came out. And I went to wow. see it twice before it even came out. And then I did the, the marathon, you know, where they showed all three right. movies in the theater on opening yeah. day. Um, and you're right, Christopher. I, absolutely. I, I, I still feel that way every time I hear that. And mm-hmm. um, and I think it's an important note that, that you brought up. So um, really, thank you for that. And uh, yes, yeah. let's raise a toast for, for the effort that was put into them. Cheers. Um, you know, I agree. That Pippin observation is, is an absolutely brilliant catch. Uh, and, and on the subject of Pippin, again, I... I that musical scene, the, the scene with the, what do you call the Denethor food porn? <laughs> the Den- yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that song still haunts me. Uh, not mm-hmm. surprisingly, the, the complete edition of the score is in heavy rotation around here, and that song always makes me stop for a moment. Um, I, to be honest, I often sing along, even if logic and good taste suggest I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> oh, we need, we need some recordings of that. No, no, you do not. You, you do not. <laughs> Um, without a doubt, the moment of, of that Annie Lennox begins singing into the West still holds truly bittersweet memories for me. Every time I hear it, I vividly recall sitting in the theater. This was at uh, Big Newport in Newport Beach, California, for a midnight showing. So it would have been around 3 a.m., something mm-hmm. like that, maybe 3:15, and watching Return of the King for the first time and realizing what a, a tremendous experience I'd had over the mm-hmm. past two years. Talking with the local members of the OneRing.net group and and knowing what we'd all shared as a community, um, and that community's still around, of course. Like I said, I'd, I'd gone up to the back the Baggins birthday bash uh, up in L.A., and so you know I know the community's still there, but it's not quite the same. Uh, that film, that moment, that was an emotional moment, and and even now, not only does Into the West still bring tears to my eyes, but there's a a moment where you hear that theme played earlier mm-hmm. in the movie, where the first time you watched the movie, you didn't notice it because you didn't know that theme yet. You didn't yet. know what it was. And yeah. it's in that moment when Gandalf and Pippin are talking about death and, you know, the mm-hmm. trolls on the other side of that door. Yeah. Uh, listen to that, and you'll hear the first few notes of Into the West uh, playing in the background. And that just totally triggers the memory of that song and, yeah. and the recollection of those beautiful uh, hand-drawn credits with the, uh, oh, those were you so know, the cool. illustrations, yeah. the Alan Lee yeah. illustrations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every time I hear that song, it, it just brings tears to my eyes. I, I, remember, tears, si- but... I remember sitting there and just like staring at the screen through those credits. Oh, and just... totally. Totally. I, I couldn't move. I remember the first time I, know. I saw it. I and just I just remember move. thinking, I'd, like he said, we'll never see this for the first time again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even now it's still amazing, but it's not, the amazing that it was that very first night. So yep. thank you, Christopher, for taking the time to send in such a, a beautiful sentiment and giving us an opportunity to to really say, you know, farewell to the films on the podcast in a, in a much more purely positive light. Yep. Um, Sean, do we have any other comments or questions? Yeah, we've got one just for fun here, uh, kind of a short one. Um, Mick T in uh, Drawheada, oh, Ireland <laughs> asks... I hope you're pronouncing that right. Did you ask him? I did ask him how to pronounce it. He Good. said Drawheada, yep. Um, okay. He asks how Bilbo kept food fresh without a refrigerator. Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he was, uh, you know, he was, he was probably going for some for some questions that were kind of fun, knowing Mick. But mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah. I think it's a it's a really good one anyway. Um, I, I think the answer is right there in the text. Uh, Bilbo yeah. thinks at one point, and we talked about this last episode, that Gandalf seems to know as much about the inside of my larders as I do myself. Uh, so. There's that word larders. He has larders. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and larders, though they're not terribly common these days, they were common mm-hmm. in houses before the invention of the refrigerator. It was basically the room where you kept your food. And they were actually constructed uh, in, in ways that would actually keep the food fresh. I actually did some... I did some research on this. I did well, good some, for you. There's some stuff in Wikipedia on this. Um, of course. Larders were constructed to be as cool as possible. Um, they they tended to put them on the side of the house that got the least amount of sun. Um, they put them as low as possible to the ground so that the, the, you know, the ground beneath it could mm-hmm. kind of help maintain that cool temperature even in the summer. Um, in some parts of England, they even had something that was called a thrall, T-H-R-A-W-L, which was mm. like a, a big stone slab or shelf that, that helped keep food cool. So you could just put your meat there on the thrall, and that would kind of help keep it cool because, you know, the large mm. thermal mass, it wouldn't get as warm as, um, as the rest of the room would. So Interesting. I think there's your answer. Well, so they had those in parts of England, but not in Valinor, right? Because, you know, we all know the Valar didn't keep thralls despite Fanor's claim to the contrary. Oh, Alan. That's a bad pun, Alan. Bad pun. That is. Uh, Well, that wraps it up for on that wonderful note for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. And as always, we thank you very much for joining us. Be sure to join us again in a week when we start the second chapter. We'll go straight from Bilbo's larder to a bit of tasty roast mutton. (laughs) That we will. (laughs) And folks, we want to encourage you all to read along and take notes in your own copy of The Hobbit. So please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. Sean's worked real hard recently to update the page, and we've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to the really good stuff for your Tolkien collection. And also, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those re- reviews help us get some more visibility in iTunes, and that, that translates to a bigger and just more vibrant Tolkien community. And that is what we're about, the Tolkien community. So please uh, definitely help us out with that. Make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast by subscribing to our podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us in just about every podcast directory, or if you like your podcast the old-fashioned way, the RSS feed is on our website. And by the time this episode airs, Apple and iOS 11 will be supporting some new RSS tags that allow us to better organize the show into seasons, so we're in season two now, uh, as well as telling them, uh, indicating that the show is serial and not episodic. That means that the oldest one will appear at the top of the list instead of the newest. So if you're really super organized, you're going to want to use Apple's new podcast app to follow us. There you go. And we want to thank all of you who become part of our social media family. Again, community is so much what we're about mm-hmm. here. And, and we really wanted to start a Tolkien conversation that everyone can join. That's why we have uh, what we call our online common room, which is our Facebook mm-hmm. page at the Prancing Pony Podcast and our Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. It's not on the Facebook this time? It's not on the Facebook. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. One last thing as always, folks. Don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your ancient dwarven treasure maps to barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. And that's our new email address, folks, so be sure to jot it down, barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. And we'll try to get to them in our next episode. Well, an hour and a half is still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs>